0: Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI-certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and professional speaker. And now, here's Patrick.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 52 of the Leadership Window podcast. I am Patrick Jinks, leadership and strategy coach and president of the Jinx Perspective. Glad you're along with us this week. I've really been looking forward to this episode. I've done a couple of solo episodes the last couple of weeks, and those are great when I've got something on my mind that I just want to share, but um, I actually prefer it when I have people like Sean on the show because uh, there's a lot more expertise from things that I don't know, think a lot about and uh, that I'm still learning. So I, I love having guests on the show. It gives me a chance to learn, gets, gives you a chance to hear something that you don't always hear when you're tuned in, listening to me blather on and on and on. So um, let me uh, get right to it. Before we do, I want to uh, remind you that a uh, g- tremendous sponsor of this program is is Leadership Systems Incorporated in High Point, North Carolina, who help people like me become coaches and get better and better at coaching. And we appreciate them. Want to play this very brief message from Mike Wallace at LSI for you. Hey, this is Michael Wallace with Leadership Systems Incorporated. And on behalf of LSI, I want to say thanks for supporting our friend, Patrick Jinks and the Leadership Window Podcast. We've been partnering with Patrick for many years and we are so proud to have him represent us as an LSI certified executive coach. As a mutual friend, we'd like to offer you exclusive rates on some of the same training that Patrick has received over the years as well as some new experiences that we've been developing. Head over to leadershipsystems.com slash jinx to see the upcoming training events on our calendar and register today to keep learning and growing. Again, that's leadershipsystems.com slash jinx, J-I-N-K-S, for exclusive pricing on LSI's virtual and in-person training events. Thanks a lot. And by the way, they have a full-day introduction to executive coaching, or not executive coaching, but leadership coaching, and then they have a two-day practicum that is uh, really worth the investment, and they've got one of those coming up toward the end of October. So if you want to jump in on that, do that. My guest today is Sean Edwards she is the chief inclusive excellence officer at the Citadel that's right the Citadel you're thinking of the prestigious uh, military institution that I know a number of people who are Citadel graduates and they're like they're like none other and um, it's really great to have uh, Sean on the program who has an up close and personal view about their talent development and and what it means to be inclusive Uh, at an institution like the citadel in addition to that sean is also the ceo and principal consultant of her own consulting firm solutions by sean edwards and this is the context or the lens that i came to know her through because here in south carolina where she bases her business I do a lot of work. This is this is our home state. Uh, she's in the Charleston area. I'm in the Columbia area, so she gets she gets more of the beauty of the state. But um, the uh, program that we're both in, or the organization that we're both partners in, is an organization called Together SC, and is really our state's nonprofit association. And Sean is leading a collaborative of consultants. Who are offering consulting services of various kinds to the nonprofit sector? Anything from IT, finance, accounting, facilitation, marketing, coaching, strategic planning. Think of all the the things that you may need a consultant for in the nonprofit sector. That's the group that Sean is leading through this state association, and it's just now coming together. And I appreciate Sean's leadership in you know helping to form it and figure out how how we as consultants and coaches. In the sector, can not only serve the sector better, but benefit from each other's professional experience and and um, uh, collegiality and friendship and everything else. So I appreciate that. I should also mention that she is adjunct faculty at the College of Charleston. So uh, as as most successful people, she's got about a billion irons in the fire. And for her, uh, Sean, for you to carve out time for me and for our listeners for this program. I know how difficult that must be for you, and so I'm extremely grateful for it, and I just want to thank you for that and welcome you to the show.
0: Thank you so much, Patrick. It's a pleasure being here, and it's funny you use that term, irons in the fire, because that is the term that I often use when I'm (laughs) talking about all the wonderful things I get to contribute to and participate in.
1: Well, and it's, it was one thing when you have irons in the fire, it's another thing when you feel like you're in the fire, (laughs)
0: like
1: (laughs) sometimes that can, they can be confusing sometimes. Can't they?
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, there's, in in all things there's balance. And so making sure that we um, use and exercise good time management and and balance those things then then we'll be okay. And so it's a pleasure for me to be here with you today and, and having this time carved out to have this discussion.
1: Man, this is just so cool. And um, I really have been excited about this. You know, as well as anybody, and I think a lot of our listeners know that in the nonprofit sector, just like everywhere else. There's a lot of work being done right now in the space of diversity and diversifying uh, our, our workforce and our clientele and everything that we're doing. There's a lot of work being done on inclusion, which is different from Mm -hmm. diversity. And uh, a lot of people still don't realize the difference between those two. I'd love to talk about some of that today. And then there's this term that, that a lot of people are really still trying to get their heads around and that's the term equity. And you know, how is equity Mm -hmm. different, for example, from equality and what do the terms mean? And for organizations like the Citadel that have, you know, chief DEI officers or chief diversity officers, or I I love your title. I think it's, it's um, actually pretty unique, you know, chief inclusive excellence officer, which I think sums it up a little Mm -hmm. bit differently. A lot of people don't know what that work is like and what, what's actually entailed in that. So we're going to get to that in a minute. I'm, I've been excited about that myself. Before we do, let me just open it to you to tell us more about yourself, sort of um, your organization, maybe both a little bit about the Citadel and your own company, and just kind of tell us how you got to this place in your profession. And, and how did you find this to be your wheelhouse in your professional career and vocation that gives you fulfillment and adds contribution to the world. Tell us a little bit about your journey and and your organizations.
0: Sure. Sure. I I get asked that question a lot, um, mainly from folks who are um, excited about the work and not exactly sure how to, how to get into it. And so for me, um, my background is in human resources management, human resources development. You know, I love being with people and, and, and broadening, um, people and developing them from a, from a training and and workshop aspect. And as my career began to grow around HR, um, you know, there, the diversity is certainly a dimension of human resources and that you're, you're wanting to um, recruit diverse individuals for teams and things of that nature, and then wanting to ensure that those teams are productive and efficient. And so, you know, all of that sort of in a lot of ways falls under the HR umbrella. But for me, diversity, equity, and inclusion really stood out as, you know, not just in an HR activity or an HR dimension because it has so many facets. So when I think about my work here at the Citadel and, and the importance of D E and I here at the Citadel, we, you know, we're focused on, of course, employee recruitment and development and and how we ensure that we're providing an inclusive environment where employees can grow and thrive regardless of who they are and what social identity they align with. But we also want to do that with our students, right? And so while we are a military institution and we have students that we put in uniforms and and they're required to do certain things and you know, you know, enter into our leadership lab, which is our um, our barracks life, and, and they have to experience that. Um, we want to make sure that, you know, they're still understanding that they can be their own unique selves while also adapting to the military environment here on campus. And then, you know, pulling away from that and really thinking about it from an economic development standpoint What's going on with our minority contractors, with our minority vendors? How are you engaging those folks? And how are we ensuring that um, the gates that surround our campus because our campus very much looks like a military base? How are we making sure that you know the community in, in itself recognizes that the gates are there to keep the cadets in, not to not to keep the public out? And so um, opening up and and really uh, sharing that message of inclusivity, from the standpoint of we want the community to come in and we wanna provide economic development opportunities for the community to to do work on our campus, to participate in different projects from a a minority uh, contractor or women owned business perspective is I think very important and holistic to our work and ensuring that when we say, we um, honor and respect and value inclusive excellence we're doing that at all those different standpoints. And so we definitely have a recruitment aspect of that from a from an employee and a student standpoint. There's the work that we're doing with the community from a minority contractor standpoint, but there's also our external community engagement piece where we're working with other organizations who are focused on um, the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion, or um, wanting to make sure that uh, this is something that's front of face for not only Charleston but for the community, which leads into into our work with Together SC. And then, you know, building that out within our strategic plan. so, you know, it's a big part of what we do. And it it covers several objectives within our strategic plan. And so it's it's really a, a standstill, not a standstill, but a but a, a jump off point for us as an organization to ensure that we are functioning properly in all of those areas. As for me and my passion, you know, I'm I'm originally a Jersey girl. I'm from Jersey City, New Jersey. I was born in Bayonne and I was raised in Jersey City and and I moved to Charleston in the late 80s and so I've been here a really long time and I've been here when when it wasn't as cosmopolitan as it is right now. And I think, you know, upon my arrival in Charleston in the late 80s, you know, I was in a bit of a culture shock. I was used to, you know, friends from Haiti and from Puerto Rico and from the Dominican Republic and and from Barbados and from, you know, all these exotic and wonderful places. And, you know, we walked to school together and we had all different kinds of food that we shared at each other's homes. And it was very... um, Culturally diverse, my upbringing, and when when I moved to Charleston in the late '80s, that wasn't my experience, and it was very um, it was very eye opening for me at that age. And I made a decision that whatever I did in life, one, I was going to make sure that I was able to continue to travel and see the world and to engage with folks who were different, different from me and to learn about different cultures. And I was always going to be engaged in that. And then two, I was gonna ensure that whatever I did, because you know, I wasn't quite sure what my world was gonna be. I was a teenager when I moved to Charleston. Um, I, was, I wanted to be sure that whatever I did, I was able to influence people to do the same thing, to learn about different cultures and different people and to, to explore and understand that and value that. And so I think that's the premise of a lot of the work that I do, and that's really part of the reason why I started Solutions by Sean Edwards. So the work that I'm doing here at the Citadel is really focused on our institution, and it kind of expands out into the community in some ways. But the work that I do through Solutions, I'm really getting in with with, um, nonprofit and for-profit organizations. And helping them, you know, comb through the challenge of equity and comb through the challenge of creating inclusive environments and and what does it mean to be anti-racist and, you know, how does it, what does it mean for us to be equitable and, and how does that compare the equality as you, as you stated earlier on in the broadcast? And just wanting to, you know, connect with these organizations and work with them and, you know, and really help them focus based on their mission where they fit within this work because i think regardless of the organization or the individual everyone has a place in this work and so it's that that's exciting for me to be able to work with leaders work with these organizations they all have different missions they all have different values but helping them to recognize that where they fit and where, where they end up in space and place along the diversity, equity, and inclusion spectrum has been a joy for me. And just helping them to discover that has been a, a, a absolute, complete joy for me. And so it's work that I'm passionate about. And it, it makes that or keeps that commitment to that teenager that landed in Charleston in the late 80s.
1: Wow. I love it when people are so clear about their why and their purpose and, and are able to connect. There's nothing like the fulfillment of connecting your own motivations and purpose into a vocation and knowing that what mm-hmm. you've got is helping other people. I know you feel that. Cause I can feel it, uh, you know, over the, over the broadcast here. Um, yeah. So maybe let's, we might take these uh, a little bit back and forth here in terms of your work at the Citadel and your work at solutions, but I'm curious as to your work at the Citadel, you know, many people Mm -hmm. wonder what does a DEI director do or what does a chief inclusive officer do or, you know, these different Mm -hmm. terms that we've got. Uh, If you're not in the work, it can sound like, um, you know, in the nonprofit sector, we we have these buzzwords, right? Community impact and collaboration. And, you know, they kind of like, what do they mean? And this is kind of mm-hmm. one of those because this space is space that is being talked about so much now. You mentioned strategic planning, uh, I, that which is a lot of what I do, as you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I'm working with a client who doesn't have DEI work woven into their strategic plan somewhere or wanting to. But what I'm finding is while they want to, many of them still don't exactly know how, like I know I should, we know we need this, but we don't really know what the work looks like. And so you described a little bit of it. I appreciate you, you know, differentiating between the work with your employees and the work with your students and the work with your vendors but maybe mm-hmm. you could describe a little bit about what is the actual work, though. Um, maybe from you, anyone on your team, or what it is you're trying to get others to do. And uh, sure. maybe, maybe you could talk about this. You mentioned this is this is sort of driven by your strategic plan. How do you take mm-hmm. the DEI components of your strategic plan and turn them into action? What does it look does like? It look-
0: so what that looks like for the Citadel. And and again, let me comment. I just, I really like the fact that you're doing strategic planning work and your clients want to make sure that this work is included in their strategic plan.
1: In either in their strategic plan or in their values, you know, and, and there's a, there's some confusion there. Like, is this a value? Like, do we need to state this as sort of parameters about how we do all of our work or do we need to carve out this strategic pillar that that in that specifically and explicitly does some of this work. You know what I'm saying? They they have difficulty mm-hmm. sort of differentiating between whether this is strategic work or whether it's values based, you know, culture thing. And in the latter, it's even harder to define what the action looks like.
0: Sure. So let me start there. So the core values of the citadel are honor, duty, and respect. And we interpret those core values in many, many, many different ways. And it's the it's the, really the foundation of everything that we do, honor, duty, and respect. And then our, our mission is principal leadership. And so, you know, and all the things that go into developing principal leaders. And so when we when we think about that, and as we built out the strategic plan, and, and, you know, parallel, same thing that I do with my clients. This should be, this work should be infused in what we do. It shouldn't be, a, you know, a separate thing. Like we have a strategic plan, but here's our diversity plan. Like all of that needs to be one thing. And so when we talk about the actual work and, and what are the actionable things that happen, let's look at it from a Citadel perspective. And so for um, for many, many years, we have you know, offered professional development to our faculty. Let's, let's start with faculty. We've offered professional development to our faculty. What that infusion looks like now is, you know, while we offer professional development to our faculty, we're also ensuring that we offer professional development that aligns with our core values, but also aligns with our de sort of, you know, our premise and, and the things that we want to see achieved in that area. And so... We may, rather than offering a uh, offering a course on effective teaching, maybe we offer a course on effective teaching, but but it also includes um, culturally responsive teaching, and so we may we, we may include that as a part of that effective teaching course, or we may offer a separate separate course on culturally responsive teaching, and that you know offering that as a as a as a uh, professional development for our faculty. When we think about um, working with faculty and their syllabi, you know, they build out a syllabi. And as an instructor, I know you build a syllabus and you don't want to change that syllabus. You want it to be, (laughs) you you teach that course, you know, once a year or every year in the spring or whatever, you're like, I built this and it's fine, but really um, assisting the faculty and reviewing their syllabus and and, and reviewing their syllabi and really, um, wanting to make sure that they are being inclusive in what they're offering. So for instance, if I am an English professor, perhaps I may include a poem or a speech by um, Langston Hughes in addition to a poem or speech by Winston Churchill. Or maybe I'm going to swap those out because I have a couple of other uh, maybe white authors or poets that are included in my curriculum as well. So I'm making sure that there are there's an African-American or there are female preferences or presence within my work. We even, you know, if we, you, you might say, well, if you're talking about curriculum and you're you're talking about um, certain disciplines, that could work for some, but it won't work for all. When really it can't. So if we're thinking about a math instructor syllabi. A math instructor is working on problems, creating problems, and, and, and you know you're writing these things out, and you're you're creating them because that's what happens at the doctoral level. And so, rather than have you know Dick and James in your example, maybe it's Abdullah and Katrina. You know, you're so thinking about those cultural names and and presence, and and what that means for a student to see themselves reflected in the assignments that they're given. Sometimes it's not always as direct as, um, you know, a writing assignment where someone's writing about privilege. Um, maybe it's a writing assignment where you, you're requiring a student to look at some um, aspect of the world, like maybe um, the the ethics around, um, maybe the ethics around volunteering in third world countries. And, you know, because there are some points of that that, you know, some folks say is really good and then others where, you know, folks may see that as harmful because of colonization and things of that nature. And so having students critically think and explore that is certainly a dimension of diversity. And so when we think about the strategic plan from from a higher education academic standpoint, it's really thinking about how can we cause the students to think strategically and how can we ensure that the faculty is equipped to to lead those conversations and to handle those conversations. And so that's that's sort of how it works from a from a faculty standpoint. On the staff side, we're really working to ensure that we are providing workshops and diverse opportunities for faculty, I mean for staff to um, learn about different cultures to engage with different cultures because we have students from, you know, 11 different countries and all different backgrounds and they all have to work with them. So whether you're in the registrar's office or the treasurer's office or admissions, you're having to work with a diverse population of people. And so ensuring that you have the cultural competency and hopefully at one, at one point cultural proficiency to be able to engage with whomever walks into the office needing assistance and, and allowing that person to have a positive experience and for you to be able to have the same. And so that comes in many different many different ways and many different forms. And so my role helps to, to create that, right? And so lots of times folks aren't thinking about this, um, especially when you think about an institution like ours that's been around since 1842. Um, we have a lot of practices in place and we have a lot of um, things that we have done that we have always done. And sometimes that, those things need shaking up. Sometimes we need to have a different approach, especially as we think about these current students. You know, you know, thinking over the last two years, we've had students who um, who haven't been in classroom. They didn't have a traditional, you know, senior year in high school and, and all the things that COVID has brought on. We've got, our approach has to be different and we can't um, always expect folks to, Um, Seek us out because there's a lot of competition out there, right? We have to willingly engage these folks and be very intentional about that and then make sure we are, um, we have the right product so that we have the right fit so that we then earn that student's trust and get them here for four years.
1: Let me interject here because you're already opening my mind up to some things. You're helping me make some connections. Okay. And let me, let me mm-hmm. run these by you and see if I'm making them right. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to okay. misinterpret this. What I love about what you're talking about, particularly when you give the examples, this is exactly what I wanted to do on the show today. I wanted to get specific. What does the work look like? And you went straight to Mm -hmm. down into like, uh, you know, reading poems in English class, right? That this helps me picture the work. And here's the thing, what you just described there. Is not about what I think a lot of people think it's about, which is, oh, well, if we have a white poet, we also have to have a black poet and oops, I guess we're going to also have to, it's like we're counting the number of different ethnicities that, but that's not it because what you, what you've done there is poet. What a great example to use poetry. Poetry is an is an artistic expression. It comes usually from a deep place of some kind of experience or perspective on life. And the the you know, poets from different cultures and ethnicities have different experiences and see the world view right. through a different lens that it's kind of good if I know what that is and understand it and can appreciate it. So it's not counting mm-hmm. the number of, you know, and, but I think a lot of people think that, and, and, you know, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, they, they got to have the, this one because they had this one. And, but, but your, your explanation of it made me make that connection a little bit better. It's about learning. Your second one was the use of the names in some of the material. So even in the math class, instead of, you know, Dick and Jane, I think you said Abdullah and Katrina that's not. Mm-hmm. That's not just. That's just not um, obligatory. That is helping right. people feel like, oh, you're talking to me too. I'm a part of this mm-hmm. too. I'm connected to this too. And here's the, which here's, leads
0: to inclusion.
1: Which it well, yeah. Which leads to inclusions. Like I see you. Mm-hmm. You're a part of this. Uh, you know. You 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 belong. It, it made me um, think of uh, uh, an academic theory on leadership that I talk about all the time, probably more than, probably people are sick of it. Um, but self-determination theory says that people want a sense of autonomy, a sense of competence, and a sense of relatedness. And that relatedness mm-hmm. is to the mission and to the leadership. And what you're talking about with the use of names and being diverse and inclusive in, in just something that simple it's helping people feel related and that drives engagement. It drives purpose. It drives. So everything you're describing to me, there is not, it's not what I think a lot of people still sort of, you know, see that it is, It, it literally is helping people develop their emotional intelligence and their leadership competencies. So, yes. so here's my, here's a question for you along those lines. Am I, am, is that, does that make sense? Is that aligned appropriately the way I'm framing it? it that?
0: does. The, the, it, yeah, absolutely. The relatedness also drives learning. I'm going to, I'm going to retain this better because I've related to it. And what you were discussing earlier, Patrick, about, it's not about, oh, I've got a white poem, a poet, I also have to include a black poet. That's equality.
1: Yes. Equity
0: says equity says i am going to make sure that there is a there's a perspective here and that i'm sharing diverse perspectives so that my students get a well-rounded view that's equity. so that
1: so that Equality all my says, students yes 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 so mm-hmm. the, so here's
0: quality says i've got a black home so i gotta get a I gotta get a white home
1: and that's really good. That's a good and I've seen a lot of the 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 different illustrations to help people understand the difference between equity and equality. And that's a really good one. But so my mm-hmm. point is, and it's a question that I have, quite honestly. It's a it's um it's a troubling question for me. The the Okay the DEI work unfortunately is charged. The language is charged, it's mm-hmm. politically charged, um people people feel I mean, you've got everyone, when you talk about going to a DEI training, there are those people Mm -hmm. who dive in and want to go to everyone they can possibly go to, and they want to turn everything into a DEI training program. Sure. And then you have the other extreme of people that go, oh my God, they roll their eyes and they say, and, and, and it's not always out of malice either. It's either, you know it's either i don't realize that i need training like oh i i already know what i need to know there i'm not a racist i don't need to go to some training where someone tells me i'm a racist i get it you know that's not what this is and so here's here's my question how do we get what you're what you're sharing with the world just right here in in 15 minutes what you opened up i think for me and our listeners in what this really looks like i'm almost to the point where i'm thinking if we can find a way to stop using the, the words, this, this is way off. This uh-huh. is my, this is my wild <laughs> thought, right? If we can find a way to stop using the words, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and instead subtly and powerfully teach people how to make sure that all of their students get value from their workshops, how to learn more about different cultures so that you can grow as a person, how respect plays into all kinds of different differences that people have. It's like when you have these conversations, nobody argues with them like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. I get it. I like it. But the minute you start saying the charged words of diversity, equity, inclusion, and I'm sorry, it might just be my perspective, but unfortunately I think that is, I think that's the case. And so how do you, how do we move from the, what I call from the preaching to the teaching where it's not the it's not the nomenclature that matters. It's the essence of what are we actually doing here that matters. Some of my clients, for example, in in when they talk about um, equity, uh, um, health equity, for example. Well, they, I mean, there are members of boards and staffs who listen and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, when I hear equity, I'm thinking this, what's this, this is about racism, isn't it? <laughs> right, and they go straight and then they're resistant and the walls come up. When really it's, you know, you look at the data and you say, you know, it looks like the the black kids in this area are reading their third grade reading proficiency is here. The white kids reading proficiency is here. The the Hispanic kids reading, reading proficiency is here. Look at the gaps between these. We want to we want to try to bring these up. Not we don't we don't want to bring the, the white scores down. Well, we want to bring the others up. We want to we want to you know make sure everybody's reading at grade level that's equity but when you say it that way everybody goes well yeah i mean who wouldn't want that
0: yeah why why would we do that?" so
1: what's your take on that how do we get how do we get everybody to sort of understand the depth and the substance of what we're talking about rather than the politics of what we're talking about
0: well you your point is is Definitely, what I have experienced, right? So, from the standpoint of you know those words—diversity, equity, inclusion—being politically charged, that is that is so true, and it causes folks to get on the defensive, and and they they want to defend, you know, you know, it could be a number of things—the fact that you know I'm not a racist, or you know I don't I don't feel like we should lower standards, or whatever their thoughts are around. Um, you know, that, that, this type of work. And I think that, you know, that's one of the reasons why I have really done a lot of work around my approach, you know, just as a professional working in this, in this arena, I'm very careful with my approach because this, you know, the, the unity and the, the outcomes that we seek, they can't be done without everybody being on board. We we can't fully realize them without the white male, without the white female, without the black male, without the black. We can't really realize them without everyone being on board. Um, So I think that approach is one way, like really helping folks as much as you possibly can to see that this work is going to benefit us all. If we, if, to use your example of the um, the, the third grade reading level, when we're looking at students in a community and the white students in that community are, are advancing quicker than the, than the students of color, the marginalized students in that community. And so now we're looking at that, we see that that's a problem. And so what are we gonna do? We're gonna put an intervention in place in order to address the problem. That intervention, is likely going to continue to raise the white students and impact impact them as positively as it would the marginalized students, because you put it in place. There have been so many studies done where you know thinking talking about health equity, where um, medical offices have you know made that they devised an intervention where you know the marginalized individuals weren't keeping their appointments. And so the medical office decided to do a, um, a better job of making sure that they contact the patients early enough and helping them ensure um, transportation to and from the appointment. Well, they didn't only do it for the marginalized patients. They did it for all the patients. And they saw an overall increase for all of their patients, not just the, the ones that were in the marginalized group. And so when we, when we think about these things and, and really thinking about, you know, what we can do within these communities, we have to continue the message and it, and it doesn't end. You keep repeating the message over and over again to anyone who will listen and trying to get that message through to as many as possible that I, I hate to use this, this term because it's so, it, I think it's been overused, but a rising tide does float all boats. You just got to make sure everybody has both. And so when we when we when we do these interventions, and when we're putting these things in place, yes, they they will raise the, the status or the income or the access for marginalized individuals. But at the same time, it's going to do the same thing for those individuals that are that are not included in that marginalized group. And so I think the more we can share that message, the more we can do that. And the more we pay attention to our approach, where we don't come in waving a finger at people and telling them that they're wrong or that they've done it wrong for years or that every, every white person is racist, because I, I don't believe that. But we come in and we meet people where they are. And, and I'm more than willing to do that. I, I, I will meet you where you are. If you're at the point where you know privilege doesn't exist and this is all a bunch of malarkey, all right, then that's where you are. Let's let's start from there, and let's 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 do our best to work our way up. And so, I think meeting people where they are, um, double checking our approach so that we're we're not causing people to be on a defensive. And if they are on a defensive, we're not we're not matching that. Right? We're we're continuing to provide the information in the way that they need it, and then helping folks to see that. You know when when these things are put in place. You know whatever the intervention is, that it helps us all. There is an author. Her name is Heather McGee, and she has a, had a book that was released this year called "The Some of Us: What Racism Costs Everyone and How We Can Prosper Together." And in this, it's a fabulous book. And in this book, she talks about um, lots of, of things that have happened over the years that have been devised to shut people out where white people have also suffered. And so she gives a very clear example about public pools and how there used to be lots of public pools but the public pools were then desegregated and a lot of the towns and cities cemented over their public pools and so uh, people didn't have access to them anymore and all the access went to the folks who had more money even though in particular the white individuals who had more money, they were able to open up country clubs that were exclusive, and, and the pools were there, and so the 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 poor white kids, along with the poor marginalized kids, were you know didn't have access, and so there were more drownings and and things of that nature because folks were going to swimming holes and things like that, and so it it costs all of us, and when we when we look at it and we really make sure that we are. Expanding this intervention or this opportunity or whatever it is to all, and making sure that folks have access and that it's equitable access, then it benefits us all. I know I really I went a really long way to answer your question. Hopefully, (laughs) huh? Hopefully I did, but that oh, was, I, you know, that's just
1: the way I see things. I just, I just like asking the question and getting out of the way and letting you go because that's exactly what it, I mean. That, that It's rich stuff. The, the, when people say, we you know we need to have the conversations, right? Well, these are the conversations we need to have. These are good conversations. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm sitting here thinking, man, okay. So yes, interventions will, will, help all of the parties involved, not just the, the ones that we, where we see disparity. Um, but, but even if they didn't, even if, even if it didn't, you know, third grade reading interventions didn't improve the scores of the white kids, but they greatly improved the scores of, you know, the black and brown kids. Well, guess what happens Mm -hmm. to the overall score? And guess what happens yeah. then when, when businesses are looking to come to your community and they're looking at all this data going, well, how's the, ed- mm-hmm. what's the education look like? What's the health look like? What's teen pregnancy look like? What's obesity and, and cardiovascular, you know, like what, what do these yeah. things look like? They may not always want to look at the racial gaps and all the, the socioeconomic gaps. They are just looking at a number.
0: Yeah. They're looking at the whole,
1: you know, and that is the it- point is we are the whole. <laughs> Mhm. Yeah. Good Very stuff. Much
0: so. Very
1: much. What, so. what is so so at the Citadel? I mean, obviously, there's enough of a culture there where they want to invest in a C-suite leader to help them drive this work. So that's ahead of a lot of organizations. Yeah. What is the most challenging thing about your work at the Citadel?
0: I think the most challenging thing as a Citadel is varied amount of stakeholders we have we have a lot of stakeholders we have you know of course our cadet students and then we have other student populations like our um, evening and day undergrad our veteran students and then we have graduate students We also have our faculty and our staff and and most people would say employees but they are faculty and staff (laughs) that's that's how they are uh, translated Mm -hmm. on a in a higher education institution. Mm -hmm. And then we have, uh, you know, our community, our external community. We have our board of visitors. We have administration. And then we have our alumni. And if you know anything about the Citadel, we have a very, very strong alumni base and they have a very strong voice. And so combining all that together, there are a lot of stakeholders. and, And, you know, as you can imagine, those stakeholders don't always agree. And so, how do we how do we build consensus and make sure that we are meeting the needs of our stakeholders and addressing those, the needs of our stakeholders, while also, um, in a lot of ways, doing what's best for the organization? That is a daily challenge, of one is of balancing all of those stakeholders and and ensuring that we're doing what's best for the institution, and you know maintaining um, our status as, you know, the number one public institution in the state and maintaining our, um, our quality edu- of education.
1: That's a big challenge in, in leadership is, is the various stakeholders, knowing that if you're truly leading something, you, you know, I think it was Woodrow Wilson that says, if you want to make, em- if you want to make enemies change something and, <laughs> and, you know, I,
0: I've not heard that quote. I don't think, but it's a good one. You felt it though. Not. Haven't you? <laughs> um,
1: but the, the idea that you've got all these stakeholders and you're not going to please a hundred percent of them, hundred percent of the time. And so where do you right. find critical mass and how do you, how do you prioritize and how do you bring the critical mass of your stakeholders along with a culture and a mission and a, you know, Mm -hmm. a set of values and those kinds of things. I'm, I'm not asking you like to solve that right now. Just that's sure. I'm thinking out loud about the questions that come to my mind as you're talking. Um, so I, can I run something by you? I just thought of this and it came up yesterday in a, in a meeting with uh, one of my clients and great partners. And I, I, I'm sure you know them or or you may know them. If you don't, you will soon. Uh, The Mary black foundation in Spartanburg Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, is doing some great work on health equity and how they're sort of defining it and their stake in the ground and tying their strategic plan to it. And if you haven't seen their framework, you would love it. It's off to a great, it's off to a great start. And they're really thinking about this stuff, you know, very intentionally. And a while back on one of my YouTube episodes, I covered what I called the 3D model for leading DEI work. Now I'm not a DEI Mm -hmm. expert at all. So I got no business trying to teach it, you know, just other than just kind of give my perspective on it. But I, I, so many leaders are running into this question of what is the work that I thought this would help. And as I developed the three D's and talked it through with um, Molly Metz, who's been a guest on the show and is the president and CEO of the Mary Black Foundation. um, Mm -hmm. She helped me unpack a couple of more D's. And so I turned it into a five. I turned it into a five D model. And I'm willing right now to put myself out on the line with a, with, with someone who's got your perspective and expertise and and just competence in this area. And as I go through these quickly, I'd love for you to see if I'm missing anything or if there is okay. a, or if there's a glitch, like, like this isn't quite, you know, this wouldn't quite work because I want to refine this. Now, if you love it, then, you know, take it and steal it. I'm totally fine with that. Like make a better framework out of it. But I, I'm wanting Mm -hmm. to know, and I've put it out there without actually coming to experts like you and saying, does this even make sense? So here it is quickly. The first D I'm excited. Okay. The first D is define, define the terms. What, when you say we want to do diversity equity and inclusion work, what the heck do you even mean? You, what what is inclusion? What is equity? What is diversity? Do, do not only have you defined the terms, but is there an agreed upon operational definition in the organization? So you got to start with knowing what it is you're even talking about before you can take action on it. Make sense so far? Yes The second is Very data. Much so. Okay the second is data. What does the data tell you? is the work you need to do. When you say we need to do, you know we need to get better at DEI. Why? What does the data tell you? Is your board not diverse? Are your clients not, are you not including certain people? Is there not equity in your work? Like what does the data tell you? It's like with them. So with the Mary Black Foundation, their data tells them in the community, there are uh, um, gaps, racial and ethnic gaps in key things from childhood obesity to kindergarten readiness. And so the data tells them where their work is. So they've defined the terms. They've looked at the data to help guide them, which leads them to their third D, which is direction. So we, we've got the terms. We know we see what the data is. Now we're ready to start putting our plan together. What do, what's our direction for addressing this work. And that was my 3D model. And as I got to talking with Molly about it recently, she said, well, you know, then, then you get into the phase where you're actually now doing it. There's your fourth D. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so you're, now you're doing the work, you're practicing it. You, maybe you're not there yet and it's not perfected, but you're doing it. And then the fifth is where I think organizations like the Mary Black Foundation may be, may be um, positioned to do, and that is demonstrating it. In other words, how now can you teach others what it is you're doing that's successful? Can you can you add to the body of best practices that says this actually works and here's what it's actually doing for it? So, definition, data, direction, which leads to the doing, and then ultimately to the demonstrating. That's the model. As I go through that does any of it to you feel maybe a little off maybe that's not the best word or or am i missing a, a big chunk in the continuum that that i should think about
0: what you have just described in this 5d model is my plan when i go into organizations this i i step by step this is what i do Let's get together and define the terms. Let's talk about them broadly, and then let's talk about what this means for your organization. So we've got this big definition of equity. Now, what does that mean for you as an organization? What's your data? What does that look like? What data do you have? We need to create a baseline. How are we going to measure where we are if we don't create a baseline? Let's look at that. That's your second D. Direction. Okay, so now that we now that we know what this means for us, now that we have the data, what are we going to? What how are we going to address it? How are we going to address the challenges that have that have bubbled up or move in the area that we want to move in based on our mission, our vision, our values, and our goals? Then actually implementing that plan is yes, definitely D number four, doing it. We have to do it. And then the last one, how can we be a model for other organizations? Is yes. <laughs> there there's not there's not a thing that I would add to this this is definitely what my process this is what I do
1: okay well for our listeners I, I, I did I did not steal this from Sean <laughs> 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 well it's affirming it's a, and I and I what I would yes. ask you and I didn't mean to just like put you on the spot right here on the show but it just dawned on me let me let me run this by someone who actually can can give some you know knowledge and expert uh, feedback on it I want to invite you to take it and, you know, as you, as you think about it anymore um, and you can think of ways to improve it or refine it. uh, I would, I would love to hear from you because I don't do DEI consulting or coaching, but, Mm -hmm. and you know, this doesn't get into the, the, you know, the detail, like the, the practical tips and tools, like, you know, right, like, what right. to, like what you're doing in your math class and your English class or how to exactly. have the conversations. This is just more about, let's, let's frame out the broad, the very big picture of what this looks yeah, like.
0: Yeah, a high level process, yeah. what, what, what we should be thinking about. Now there's probably at least 10 bullets that can go under each one of these.
1: Uh, exactly. The,
0: the high level, here's what we, here's what we need to be thinking about as an organization. If we're going to incorporate this work is, mm. this is definitely what should be done.
1: Mm. Good. Now, now give me some more advice when I'm, when I'm working with clients on strategic planning, do you have, do you have any guidance mm-hmm. for me on giving them guidance as to how to integrate DEI work? Without, without, um, you know, without alienating any people who don't get it or, you know, are resistant to it or, you know, what should I be keeping in mind or think of this, you know, this man, this would be a great, um, deal for the uh, consultant collaborative, although you've already done one really (laughs) good one with us, but, um, what should, what do we need to keep in mind as consultants? As we help these nonprofit clients with any number of things, including strategic planning.
0: So when you're working with organizations with regard to strategic planning, you're, you're asking really deep questions, right? And you're paying attention to the responses and you're paying attention to what the client says needs to be addressed. And then you're also listening with that third ear, right? Of, okay, I, I hear what you're saying and here's what you're also saying, but not saying out loud. I think it's really important from, from the consultant perspective as you're assisting clients and building out a strategic plan to really look for those opportunities of inclusivity. I think a lot of it will will come up as you're having discussions and as you're as you're as they're talking and sharing with you and you're working with them and their board and their staff to help craft this plan. But I also think too that you may see opportunities for, you know, including others, or you may you there there may be times, and this is like a really um, sharp, stark example, but there may be times when you go into the office and you're you're there for a strategic planning meeting, and everyone in the office is is there and they're contributing and they're you know giving their input, except for. The young the young professional that's sitting at the front desk mm-hmm. and and it and so it's up to you to say well you know uh susie at the front desk she talks to everybody who comes through your doors and she engages with them you know she answers a lot of the questions that your organization gets when folks call in and you know all the things that that role is is important and and you know valuable for doing have we asked her what she thinks have we included her in any of the conversations? Now she may she may have a little to add. She may have a lot to add, but she may have a perspective that the organization hadn't thought about because they didn't see it as valuable because she's not in the C suite or yeah. she's not holding like this main function. And so it's up to the up to you or anyone else who's engaged in, in strategic planning to ensure that those voices are incorporated into the work.
1: And there's another great example. Yeah. And that's another great example. Sorry, Sean, to interrupt you, but I, I want to interject on that's another great example of how inclusion and r- race are not synonymous. It, everything's not about race. You didn't say whether she's white or she's black or, you know, You just said she sits at the front. She's left out maybe because of her position. There's an assumption that she doesn't have this critical thinking point of view that's valuable to the organization. And yet, if you really want to engage her, number one, um, you you ask her (laughs) what she thinks. And number two, if you really want to inform yourselves from a perspective you don't see every day. I mean, I hear people all the time say the leaders at the top have lost touch with what's going on on the ground. Well, there's your great example Mm -hmm. of making sure that you're getting that. And so you didn't, you didn't frame that in any kind of race. That's not all inclusion is. And I I really think that's another important point for not only for people to understand, but for, but for people like, like you who are doing it to teach it in that way so that the walls come down and the defenses come down and we understand that diversity and inclusion there's research on it i mean there's academic research that says your organization is stronger (laughs) like it's not Mm -hmm. this isn't like it's not real rocket science either i don't think it's um but it is this uh it's like you got to chisel through this wall that that's just there and i don't think it's because people like you know, are are bad or want to be bad. They It just, they, no. there's a, there's a mindset that they don't know they have, like there's a blind spot. I've got plenty of them, mm-hmm. those blind
0: spots. And as do I, as do I.
1: But what you gave is a great example of both diversity and inclusion.
0: Mm-hmm. Is
1: that we're, because, this is going to benefit all of us. We need that perspective.
0: Right. I mean, you've got this 23 year old young lady, sitting at the desk, you know, and we may not think her, she has an opinion or that her opinion has value because she's young, because positionally she's, you know, she's at the front desk and she's not holding, you know, some director position or VP level position within the organization. Mm. But that young lady sitting at the front desk, here's the folks who are coming in the door. She's answering all the questions. Everybody comes and drops little tidbits with her all the time. She hears folks talking in the lobby. She hears, she, she, she's walking around with a wealth of information. Mm, yeah.
1: She's a, but she's a data say, bank.
0: It's just Susie who answers the phone.
1: That's so good.
0: She's, she's bringing a lot.
1: That's so good.
0: Can't take that for granted.
1: Yeah. Those, those practical um, examples and stories and insights of things that we just miss and don't, and we don't make the connection again, back to my earlier point, we don't make the mm-hmm. connection back to DEI because DEI has become a buzzword. Right. And, and how do we get it? Right. How do we get it back from, you know, collective impact? There's another buzzword for it. Uh, all uh, Almost every organization mm-hmm. I work with wants to do collective impact. But when you get down to what that actually is, you, you can do it without saying it, <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. like, Agreed. Uh, yeah. Um, so, and, anyway, um, we we could go on with so, that. So this that's is,
0: my advice. That's that's my advice. It's great advice. Doing strategic planning, make sure you have the right folks in the room at the right time. I'm not saying that you know the young lady at the front desk has to be there all the time, but make sure that her voice is included in the work that's being done. She is a valuable part of the organization, just like your VP just like your directors.
1: And it's a difficult thing as a facilitator of any meeting of who actually is in the room. Are we including
0: everybody? Mm -hmm.
1: There's the wallflowers that sit off in the corner and never say anything because the two or three board members that dominate every meeting do all the talking. And so, you know, the good, I mean, this is facilitation 101, right? Is how do you, mm-hmm. how does the facilitator go, you know, hey, Sean, um, haven't heard much from you on this, certainly w- want you to weigh in. You, you've got a sort of unique chair in this organization. How do you see this? Right. So it literally, and that's the invitation. So, and, and this is, again, tell me if this makes sense. To me, it's the simple way of saying it. The fact that l- let's say, uh, okay, Sean, you're in the room. The fact that that you're one of, you know, four black leaders in a room of nine, eight, nine people, whatever the number is, right? We can say the room is diverse, and that by having you there, we've we've added diversity. But if we don't draw you out, mm-hmm. if you don't feel like you're a part of that meeting, if you don't, you know, if your perspective isn't being heard or listened to or respected. The diversity's there, but the inclusion's not.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, you've missed out on the value of having that person in the room.
1: Right, and they, and they, and you make an assumption that that person is fulfilled just because they were invited to the room. Right. I think you were there. What are you complaining about? <laughs> right. Well, it's like you know, <laughs> did, like, did you hear me? Is the next question right? Um boy i mean this is so rich I, I could go on on this but let me just let me start to wind this down is there anything else in in your work that you would share as a key tenet to leading diversity equity inclusion work in organizations that my questions haven't given you a chance to really talk about yet any sort of key tenets that in the context of this conversation you 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 think would be valuable and important to share with our listeners
0: the main things that organizations need to focus on, you know, nonprofit, for for profit, they really need to make sure that as they enter into infusing this work into you know, what they do, that they are authentically doing that. And so oh, wow. it's, it's not designed for organizations to become something that they're not. The work is designed for organizations to be the best versions of themselves. And so that, I believe, is connected to being genuine and being authentic. And so having someone, you know, from a consultant perspective or or a leader that, that can really guide this work within your organization to keep you focused on that North Star, I think is really important and just remaining true to who you are as an organization. If we think about it from a Citadel perspective, the Citadel is a, you know, 100-plus-year-old organization established in 1842 prior to the Civil War, and there are a lot of tenets and principles that this institution was built upon. To this day, there are a lot of those things that we still remain true to. While also remaining relevant, and so and, and true to ourselves, and so I believe that that can happen in organizations. And so, if there's any tenant or piece of advice that I would offer, it would be that to to remain true to who you are, and to to approach this work while also being your authentic and genuine selves.
1: This, my friends, is why Sean Edwards was invited to come on this show. <laughs> That is so good. So perfectly well said. I'm just, I'm, I'm, that, that's fantastic. Thank you for that. Uh, couple like like, uh, a couple of questions I like to like, a couple of questions I'd like to ask all my guests, because this is a show about leadership. So um, I like some of the stories of what sort of formed people's perspectives, point of views, philosophies, and practices in leadership. And that tends to go back to maybe one or two leaders in our lives that had a big impact on us. And some of those, you know, were great examples of leadership. Some of the people most impactful to us were maybe examples of bad leadership that led us to a different mm-hmm. direction that we wanted to go. But who would you say are one or two of the leaders in your life or career that, that have had a great impact on, on your leadership philosophy and, and why?
0: That's a really great question. And so my, the the first person that comes to mind for me is a leader named Charles Van Risenberg. Charles was president and CEO of the Charleston Metro Chamber. I want to say it was for about eight, maybe 10 years. And Charles was, he was such a magnificent leader and I, I, a lot of my um, leadership philosophy and my leadership, you know, actions are framed around Charles. And he was a servant leader. He was a servant leader who strongly believed in TQM, and um, and I and I giggle at that because I feel like it's 1980 when I say that.
1: Mm-hmm. But he was
0: he, he strongly believed in TQM, and and you know he he never he never. Um, announced, you know, I'm a servant leader and, you know, I strongly believe in TQM. He just did it. And he did it in such a way that you were able to, you know, know and understand his leadership style. And more, most importantly, you were able to trust his leadership style. And so when I thought about, you know, myself being a leader in, in many different ways, I wanted to model and emulate Charles. Charles, you know, I think back to um, the recession of two thousand and eight, and as a chamber, we, we we had to let a few people go, and most of us took um, furloughs, and so we lost money. And when we started coming out of the recession, the few of us who were left on staff from from that time period, and still we were we always remained fully staffed, but those of us who were from that time period, Charles made sure that we all got a check for the money that we lost during the furlough period that we had to do during the recession. And it to me, you know, we everybody did it, He, including him, you know, we took that furlough, we all took a pay cut during that time, but we all kept our jobs and were we were able to keep the chamber afloat and continue working. But for him to be so concerned about that that, you know, whoever is still here and still working whatever they would have earned during that time period that we had the furlough in place, I want to make sure I give them that that money back. It was just a, it was something he didn't have to do. It was a sign of his true servant leadership. And it really impacted me, not from a financial standpoint, because it was, the the amount of money wasn't as significant as the act in my view. And I, I I just feel like I try my best every day to emulate Charles Van Riefelberg. Wow. The second person is, oh, oh, go ahead.
1: Go ahead. No, no. I I, I was just going to say it's when you, when you have to say you're something over and over and tell people I'm a servant leader, I'm a servant leader. You might not be a servant leader, but when other, when other people are saying it about you, (laughs) then that means you're practicing it. So uh, that Mm -hmm. really resonated. Who's the second one?
0: The second person is um, Dr. Sandra Dingle. Sandra Dingle, I met her when I was in high school. She was the first African American female that I ever met that was not a medical doctor, but was a doctor. And I can clearly remember, um, you know, we called her Dr. Dingle, and me being confused by that in my teenage years, and you know asking her one day after class like if you're a doctor why aren't you seeing patients and (laughs) so she was the first person to who took the time and explained to me what a phd was and what that meant and the process for getting that and so you know now you know we fast forward all these many many years and now i'm a phd Mm. And, you know, she was the, she was the impetus for that. She was my first introduction to that. Prior to that, my only thoughts around doctors were medical doctors and she wasn't a medical doctor. She was, she was teaching us in the classroom and, and I couldn't, I wasn't able to wrap my brain around that, but she took the time to explain that to me and she was the example. And so, you know, upon completing my doc, my doctoral um, dissertation and my work, you know, I really sat down and reflected on you know my journey and how I ended up where I did. And it, it really goes back to her. Mm. It really goes back to her. And so not a leader in an organization, but a leader in the classroom, someone who, who just stood out because she was different. And it makes me reflect all the time on the leadership impact that I can have on young girls and what they could potentially be or become.
1: Mm. Wow. And it's the, it's the impact we do have, whether we want to, or no, we are not, it's, we're having an impact. Mm -hmm. They are watching especially if we're in a leadership role, you know, they are watching. So what kind of, what will they say about us? What would they say if they were on a podcast somewhere? And, you know, will will Dr. Sean Edwards be, be, uh, someone that someone down the line would say as someone, and my guess is yes, probably many people, um, Thank you for that. And then my my last question, you may have touched on this. I'm sorry if 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 this is redundant, but um, getting even outside of just the DEI space and get, just getting into leadership sure. in general, do you have a number one piece of advice for leaders? If if it was the 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 Doctor Sean Edwards, you know, twenty second view of leadership for all leaders, the one message every leader ought to hear, what would that be?
0: Uh huh. It's very closely tied to what you just said about the example with Dr. Dingle. I think that leaders in general need to recognize that someone is always watching. Mm-hmm. Someone's always watching. And so we have both the privilege but also the responsibility to make an impact on the next generation. And we, and so, in, in doing that, we really shouldn't take that lightly.
1: Hmm. Beautiful, Sean. Thank you so much. You've been so generous thank with you. your thought, and and just I I think really opened up a lot of thought. I know for me. So if if none of the listeners get anything out of this, with you know they're they're either not really paying attention and need to go back and replay it. Uh, or they're not trying but um I got a lot out of this and I really do appreciate it and um folks if you want to learn more about how uh what this work looks like particularly how uh Sean Edwards may be able to help you solutions by Sean Edwards can be found at seanedwards.net and that's s h a w n edwards .net shaneedwards.net will take you to uh solutions what's the i didn't i actually haven't written down the citadel's website is it citadel.edu edu yeah citadel.edu yeah. to learn more about that amazing institution um togethersc.org if you are in South Carolina and want to learn about an amazing network um, just peer-to-peer collaboration on helping the social sector move forward. Check that out. And um, Sean, again, thank you for your work there, bringing bringing us uh, consultants and coaches together. And I'm glad it's given me a chance to get to know you a little bit better. And
0: you. your,
1: your board work and uh, with with Together SC and everything. Just really appreciate it. Appreciate you being on the program. And um, folks, I do hope you will you will check this out and uh, learn more about about this work. And, you know, get it, get, get past, if you're having difficulty with it, get, just get past the labels and get into what this work actually is. Cause it's inspiring it it can be fun. It's fulfilling and it's just the right stuff to do. So lead on.